everybody. This is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we talk about, oh, by the way, we talk about investing in 2018. Oh, yeah. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. Thank this you. so great. I'm so we're glad even... you're here. This is great. <laughs> we're here on our podcast together. Yeah. yeah. Well, together, together. I'm glad in the we're same together room. in the same room, exactly, because usually we're doing this over the interwebs, across the ocean. Yep. And uh, today we're like right next to each visiting, other, which is really exciting. Visiting San Diego. Yeah. Yeah, for Christmas. So we thought we'd uh, shoot a few of these. And we thought we would videotape it, which is what we're doing. So it's welcome to the Invested Podcast. And uh, by the way, this is a podcast about investing, the way Warren Buffett does it, the way Charlie Munger does it, Guy Spear, Manesh Pabrai, Alan Meacham, who we're going to talk about today. Um, the best investors in the world. These are people with rates of return that are exceeding 20%. Sometimes uh, are, a few of them have exceeded 30% for you know, over 20 years, which is just so flipping stunning, right? So if we're going to learn how, how to invest. Wait, how many percent? Over 30. 30%. Rick Guerin did over 30% for over 20 years Whoa. per year. That doubles your money almost every two years. It's just a wow. crazy number what that gets to. And I was just reading Joel Tillinghast. I, we got to get Joel on this podcast. I love his new book called um, Think Small, <laughs> Big Money, Think Small. <laughs> Joel, you can work on the title. Think Big, Small Money. I, no, that can't be it. I don't know what it is. It's I'm not going to help you. Big Money, Think Small. Joel <laughs> Tillinghast, who is a fund manager for Fidelity. And, and you, you, you know that I don't like have a huge amount of love for most Fidelity fund managers or any most any fund managers yeah. because you know they're mostly modern portfolio theory guys who don't they're just sort of playing a game and using your money and you can do better by putting your money in the SPY index but there are some clearly who there are this have success small group here who follow oh surprise Warren Buffett yeah so yeah, Joel's well, one wait, of those guys. I have a guys. question. Hmm. Do they still charge fees, these yeah. people? Yeah. So in this case, you would say maybe their fees are worth it. In this case, you'd say their fees are worth it. I think Tillinghast has delivered since 1989, including the fees, a substantial return above the S&P 500. I don't know exactly. When we get them on here, we'll find out. Well, before Christmas, we were talking a lot about gurus, how to follow what they're buying by looking at their SEC filings, mm -hmm. which we went through. Um, the few episodes right before Christmas, end of December. And then we promised to talk in specifics about a couple of gurus that you follow in particular. First one, <laughs> Alan Meacham. Alan Meacham. I, I'm looking forward to getting Alan on here sometime. That would well. be amazing. He's kind of an anti-publicity hound. I don't blame him. Yeah, he hides. I mean, so he was famously played by Christian Bale in the movie the No, 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 different guy. Not That's the Michael Christian Burry. Bale one? That's Michael oh. Burry, who I would also love to get on here. But he's, a, oh, he's an incredibly famous sort of reclusive guy. You're right. Um, no, Alan Meacham is, uh, is not the guy in the big short. Okay. Not the guy that's garnered much publicity. But he's a guy who started up not all that long ago, I mean like a decade or so, um, with very little capital. And now he has a billion dollars under management. Um, to my knowledge, he's only had a couple of articles ever written about him. He's a total rule one, ruler style investor, which, you know, by that we mean somebody's kind of following the Buffett idea, Ben Graham, Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger ideas we've talked about on here. And um, 
man, I, he's just done so well that he's actually gotten sued by some broker dealer in Salt Lake for falsifying his record. Like it was too good? Like it was too good. Like he actually made a positive return in 2008 when the market dropped like a brick in a long-only portfolio. Wow. Which is really hard to do. The market's going down 50%. Yeah. His portfolio went up. That's crazy. I would like to go back and look at that. And this guy's <laughs> like, that's impossible. But of course, he has, it's not a Bernie Madoff black box. He has a list of the companies that he's buying. He's yeah. got, I can see it right here. I'm looking on the computer. There's the companies he's buying. And um, he has a separate agency that verifies all the trades coming through, administrates all the trades. He can't move the money without you know them getting in the middle of it. And then he yeah. has an auditor. I mean, it's pretty solidly documented. And this, so did everything go okay with that case, or is it still uh, going? It's just like a nonsense. It's a nuisance sort of case, right? It's like the guys basically said, hey, if you can show me you really did that, I will, I will resign my securities license. But and, I mean, is, know, it, is it still going it, on, or do you not no, know what the, the resolution right is? There, oh, I think. Okay. And, and of course, Meacham isn't going to go any farther with this nonsense than what he's already doing. Yeah. It's fully audited. Yeah, yeah. Right, so, you know, end of story. But I have just, to say, there are some good regulations out there, and I think that's, those are good ones. Let's make sure that people who are managing large amounts of money can't while it away, Madoff style. I guess. I mean, you got to think, you know, they didn't catch Madoff. They had the regulations. They were useless. Madoff just ran a scam, and they didn't catch him in spite of whistleblowers coming in and saying, I've been tracking this guy, and there's no way he could be doing what he's doing. And the SEC blew them off. That's true. So what's the point of having a regulator if they don't catch the bad guys? You know, everybody else is jumping through hoops at a cost, and then they don't catch the bad guys. So, yeah. I mean, they catch little guys doing doofy things, but that's about it. Well, he had to go through the administrator. He had to go through the auditing that you just mentioned, right? Madoff? Yeah. No. No? No. He had an auditor. Get this. His auditor was a one-man accounting shop. That's okay. Not okay. That's, like, technically okay. Huge red flag. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're talking about, you know, like in the news all the time now, it's all this, this power differential for where really powerful men taking advantage of women. Well, guess what? This is a really powerful guy making, you know, with billions of dollars under management, taking advantage of an accountant that, you know, you can put pressure on to deliver the scam. And he did it. Yeah. I mean, those are pretty different situations. But yes, that's true. Well, everybody got screwed. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> All yeah, that's right. That's pretty funny right there. Let's get it I moving here. Funny. We're not going to talk about Michael Burry. We're going to talk about Alan Meacham. Yeah, let's do. All right. So when we go on my website or onto Dataroma or Guru Focus or Whale Watch or any of the rest that you can find. Are you talking you, about the ones that, that show the, the guru filings? Trades. Right. Okay. The filings of yeah. people who are managing. We talked about 100, a bunch of those in December. Right. More than 100 million, and they have to file with the SEC. And you think you could look it up on the SEC? I think I cannot. And I think actually you admitted no, that I this is really you. hard to do. I did, and it was yeah. not. It was not. It, it wasn't hard to see what they had purchased, but what was pretty difficult. I, I would say almost impossible because you would just have to pull up a whole bunch of different web pages. 
is to see what the progression has been. And right. that's the actual the information that I would need. Like, I don't really care what, you know, Alan Meacham has bought this year, this quarter. But what I want to know is like, is he buying more of that? Or is this the first time he's bought it? Or did he sell it last quarter and now he's bought a little more? Like, what's happening with this Very portfolio? True. Because that's what gives you the real story. So that's what I said. It's, it's, the it's hard to, hard, the context, hard to get it's the context. It's hard to see that on the SEC's website. So there are good secondary sources out there. Um, your website, Guru Focus. Um, there were a few Data others Roma. that we found, yeah. So the, the thing that, and I would I just I would just add, you know, I like to check and balance, like look at more than one to make sure that you're getting a real picture. Yeah, that seems fair. And uh, you know, my stuff is I love I curate it. Oh, you curate? Yeah, I, there's about eight thousand fund your, managers that could fall into this word. category, and I've narrowed it down to forty-seven. I think Data Roma has a hundred. Guru Focus has every one of them. Well, um, yeah, because that's what we talked about. Like, how do you know even who to look at? Right. You could spend all day, every day, looking at these things for a month and have no clue which ones to actually which emulate. Which ones are really the ones you should emulate, right? Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, and we're looking at my point of view, right? So I don't want to look at every one of them because it's just too many, and too many stocks. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, it's the big investors that are buying eighty-five percent of the stocks in the market. So if you looked at all of the stocks that all of them bought, all 8,000 or whatever, you'd be looking at all the stocks that there are almost. So- Wait, what? Yeah, I mean, it, if stocks are being purchased, they're being purchased, 85% of the total quantity of stocks being purchased are being purchased by those 8,000 people. Those by are the fund, fund managers. managers. Yeah, and they file these SEC filings, right? So if okay. you went to the SEC and said, hey, I'm just gonna download all of them you'd be downloading at least 85% of the stocks in the market that were bought last quarter by fund managers. That's okay. not gonna do you much good, right? You're it's saying 85% of the approximately 5,000 stocks in the US stock market, is that what you're saying? More, there's more stocks than that, but yeah, are purchased by fund managers. Okay. Like there's a very small percentage Or are you saying 85% of the money in the market? It works out the same way. Okay. <laughs> the 85% is the money, but they buy almost all the stocks. It's the money that they use. Because 85% of the money in the market is like individual person money. Well, and you're in saying a it's of bought speaking, by these fund managers on behalf of the individual person. Yeah, it's, it's like works out to be about the same. Okay. Okay, so the, the thing is that that would end up with way too many stocks. So we have to, you have to cut it down in some yeah, way or for another. Sure. For sure. And so the way we cut it down is we say, all right, well, who's investing the most, like the way we think is the best way to invest? Warren Buffett 101, Charlie Munger 101, right? So what we call rule one investing. And that means you're looking at businesses you, they should be looking at businesses they understand with big protective moats, with really good management, and they're buying them on sale. That's would, that would be the people we want to follow, not somebody that's just buying 500 stocks. Totally. All right. So how do we figure that out? Well, those people who do it right, in my opinion, are loading up on a relatively small number of companies. So you should see in their portfolio that the, the top five stocks are probably at least 50% of their portfolio. Okay, hold on. Point number one. <laughs> 
So top five equals 50% yeah, of portfolio. Right. Okay. So they can have 100 stocks, but if the top five oh, are so half of their portfolio, they're pretty focused. And then the others would all just be tiny little. Tiny little, what would you call that? I would call them practice shares. That's exactly right. You would call them tiptoeing into the water. That's exactly right. And <laughs> I really like practice shares. That's such a great idea. And the reason we like that is because we see so many investors, including Alan Meacham, doing exactly that, tiptoeing in to see if they can drive themselves deeper with the research. I mean, it's a Can I make a little game. aside since you mentioned practice shares? Sure. So, we have, as we've mentioned a number of times, an announcement coming up that we're very excited about. And practice shares is an integral part. I know no, nobody listening knows what practice shares are. <laughs> so what we're going to do here is we're a little late on this podcast today. We should have put it up on Tuesday, but it's been the holidays. We so were, we're Christmasing, New Year's. We were, we were New Year's Christmasing, exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's going to go up today. And then we're going to have our regular podcast next Tuesday, the way we always do. And then we're going to have a bonus podcast on Wednesday, January 10th, which will have the details of what we are talking about, which includes practice shares and all sorts of other things. This so very cool. Stay tuned to all of our social medias and emails and all that stuff because we'll be putting out the info. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, which made me think of this incredible gift that I got. You did? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. From me? Mm hmm. <laughs> it's really lovely. I got a tie. I got you two gifts. Oh, I got a tie. You did get a tie. I got a tie with the the snow lamb on it. It has lambs. Is that, I couldn't believe this is a, a common graphic on ties. It's out there. Sort of. Yeah. Well, your husband has has them on his because why? Well, it's because of our last name. Mm -hmm. uh, it relates to lambs. To so, snow lambs. So he has like four of these ties, and you wore one um, at my cousin's wedding recently, and so yep. we thought you would like it. Which I do. I love it. It looks really nice. It's on very cool. Yes, yeah, so it's like a fancy Hermes tie, but <laughs> they're very it's into their like very, animals. It's very, very she she. Very, very you're, you're gonna look so you know expensive. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we thought we would I class go get you a, up. A I have to go get a suit. <laughs> the most expensive tie I ever bought. That'd be pretty funny for you to go to a store and just say like, I have a tie. I want to match it to Can a suit. Can you match it? <laughs> that doesn't happen every day. No. So um, the other thing I wanted to thank you for and your sister was the really unusual gift of a coffee mug with matching socks. You oh yeah, that was a good one. You don't see that every day. <laughs> a red coffee mug with the stripes of the flag from Jamaica. No, stop it. It's a Pendleton coffee mug. It's a Pendleton coffee mug <laughs> with stripes from someplace beautiful. I'm going to go with Oregon. Oregon. Maybe a tribe or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It looks like stripe. <laughs> and I have red socks with the same stripe, and it came together. Yeah, you're all styling in that your red is, socks. That's a niche genius market right there, is coffee mug socks. You gotta love that American ingenuity. I'm telling you. I just think it's so funny Brilliant. how much you enjoy that the socks arrived I in a coffee for mug. Three days. I think this straight. might have to become a theme gift for the next oh. however many years. Oh yeah, the socks are in their own drawer now in the hotel because <laughs> I can't put them with anything else after too many days of wearing them. Well, and I would like to say thank you for my German lessons. You're very welcome. Say ich, something in German. Ich lerne Deutsch. 
Ich spreche Deutsch sehr gut. Sehr, sehr gut. So gut. Meine Deutsch ist so gut. <laughs> you just made, I don't know what you said, but you just made I told everyone, so many German listeners oh happy. Oh my God, no, their ears are being tortured by my horrible German accent. Come on, John Kennedy still lives in, in, in the German collective memory for his speech in Berlin. I am a Berliner. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that what I just said was equivalent to that. I think that was something yeah. equally motivating and fabulous. Yeah, probably. Right. So moving on from Christmas. Yeah, maybe in three months I'll be able to say a little more besides how good my German is. I hope is. so. I hope you use my gift well. Um, so but what let's I get back know, to Meacham. The gift of education, Dad. Tell me about the... I keep Alan. forgetting his name. Alan, Alan Meacham. Meacham. Yeah. All right. So... First, Alan has about 57% of his portfolio in the top five stocks. Now, how do I know that? Well, the advantage of using a data provider like what we're doing is um, that we have already compiled all that information rather than trying to dig it out of the SEC, right? Yeah, it's so a we huge compiled advantage, it all, I have to say. And we put the portfolio advantage. percentage right there. So Alan's portfolio has Berkshire B, Berkshire B stock, as his number one position, he has 22.5% of his portfolio in that one stock. And those are the less expensive Berkshire shares, right? right? There's 1,500 of those for each A share. Yeah. Um, but they're looking at the same company, just through different lens. And he bought those stocks at, I figured out roughly an average of about $100 a share. So they're currently almost 200 now. So, he, and, but he started back in uh, about 10 years ago, starting to acquire them. And so all that information is right there, and you can you can pull it out. So it's very very useful. We see that the last time he bought the stock, he wasn't too long ago. He bought it for one hundred forty four dollars a share. Okay. Which is where it was maybe a year ago. See right. now that alone is interesting because it's not just one purchase. Now it's in my portfolio. Moving on, like he's continually stockpiling that he, company. Yes and no. He actually bought in at about. $90 a share, and then in successive years, he sold about a third of the position, hmm. and then he started buying it back. So now he's bought back that third of the position, and he's back up to his original 1.3 million shares or Which so. Which says to me he likes the company the whole time, he just thought it was overpriced or underpriced. Thought it was overpriced, got out, came back, or he was concerned about something or whatever. So he moved out, then he moved back in. and. Um, his second position is very interesting, I think, is interactive brokers, which is where I have my brokerage accounts. Oh, it's a brokerage company. Yeah, and they're public. It was started by a Hungarian named Peter Fee, who is a very interesting character. I mean, just really smart, genius, um, who kind of created a website early on in the 90s, I think, that could do options trading. So it was originally an options-oriented uh, website, but now it's broadening, and it is the largest uh, number of brokerages in a one in one brokerage website that you could you could use. And, uh, okay. Sorry, the largest number of markets. So I think you can go buy stocks in eighty nine or ninety markets by going on to interactive brokers. Oh, like worldwide. Worldwide. Oh, that's cool. And they that's a unique niche. They're yeah. the only ones you can do that. Um, they also have very low fees, so they try to compete on price. And uh, what? You seem to like them a lot. Well, I'm there. <laughs> I just would warn you that they also have an interface made by a Hungarian. Oh, no. 
I have enough trouble with <laughs> like supposedly user-friendly brokerage interfaces. Oh no, and if you call them, you know you're talking to professionals who have a rather short attention span for your little problem, right? They will answer your phone, let's get to it right now, boom, 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 boom. And, um, and so they're very abrupt. It's like, answer the phone, what? No, they don't. <laughs> kind of. Interactive brokers, can I help you right now? Because we're busy. <laughs> I actually really like this website, but you have to be kind of up to speed okay. to, to use this. All right, so he's got Berkshire. What percentage is Berkshire? Berkshire is 22.5. Okay. And then IBKR, and then Interactive, Interactive Brokers, brokers. is 12.5. Oh, so it's a big drop, the yeah. next one. Next one down, 12.5. Uh, um, now, the thing is, he's increasing that position slightly, uh, quarter by quarter. And so he's continuing to add to this. He okay. thinks this is a relatively underpriced or uh, something about interactive brokers. And I gotta tell you, I've looked at it and I I can't quite pencil it for me. I'm just not that confident in how they're growing and so on. Hmm. But because he's got such a large position, it's his second largest position. I'm gonna, I, I wanna go back and dig in deeper. So it makes you take some a company look. a little more seriously Absolutely. that you probably have already dismissed. Right. Hey, we're at the halfway point of this episode and I wanna take a second to invite you guys over to investedpodcast.com. On that site, you can continue the conversation and you can get our show notes. And I also have a special offer for my podcast listeners right there on the site. So head over there and we hope you're enjoying the podcast. Now back to Invested. That's now, interesting. Like I gotta, I gotta think about that for a minute. Like so, I take my own counsel. I've done my own research on company X and I've said no. Right. Then I see Guru who I like is mm. buying company X. Right. Like, should I really look at that again when I've already dismissed it based on my own decision making? Most definitely grasshopper. <laughs> <laughs> So think but about I it like this. I think I'm right about everything. Think, think about it like this. Um, let's say, just for fun, I'm just clicking on something here. Let's say that in one week, you got phone calls from Alan Meachin, Guy Spear, Lou Simpson, who used to run Buffett's Geico Fund, Okay. Um, Monesh Pabrai, um, at a minimum, and four or five other guys you never heard of, all called you in one week and said, we're buying Berkshire Hathaway. I bought it within the last 45 days, um, and I paid $144 a share, and all of them did. They bought it between 135 and 144, all of them did. And you'd previously rejected Berkshire Hathaway. But wait a second, you're changing the scenario now. Now there's four or five or 10. No, 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 the change in the scenario is that Berkshire Hathaway is a company I wouldn't reject uh, uh, based uh. on the company. You're saying, oh, the price is right. Ah, uh, I see. Danielle, so, the price is right. This right. is, you know, right. Lou Simpson, right. get in. Get in. And I'd be like, awesome. Uh, yeah, exactly, um, exactly. But right. no, I'm talking about a company, you know, I don't know, so I'm just calling it company X. Like, But so the, the question is, would, if they all called me and said, I think your analysis is wrong, mm. I'm buying. 
Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just waiting for the price to be right. But this is a fantastic company. It has great growth prospects. The moat is there. And I'm like, well, you know, my opinion of the moat wasn't that it was so particularly impermeable. I found it to be, you know, potentially broken in the next two, like, whatever. Or, like, the event isn't going to, I don't know, whatever it is. Um, well, here's, here's where this becomes so valuable. So now you see that one guy calls you. Alan Meacham says, I really like it. My number two best position, I'm buying in consistently. Now you look at these tools, and you can do this at any of these websites, click on the company itself, and it'll show you all of the gurus that are buying it. Yeah. And what you see is that Alan is at 12.5% as a portfolio. There's two other gurus who are buying this, but they're only sticking a toe in the water. They've got practice share level of this stuff. And that's all, out of 47 really smart gurus, there's one who's kind of all in and two who are tipping their toe in the water and the rest of them are like, not me. The rest of them are basically agreeing with you. Yeah. For whatever reason, this isn't it. So you really want to put this in a context of the whole group, right? They're all looking at what each other are doing and they've all said, yeah, thumbs up to Berkshire. And only one has said really big time thumbs up to interactive brokers. So that's kind of how I use it. I look at it as a guide and see where the weight goes. I mean, a little while ago, I bought Apple Computer because everybody was buying Apple Computer. <laughs> Isn't that the exact I mean, exact that's not the opposite. only reason. <laughs> but obviously, I mean, I really like it. I have, you know, big moat, blah, blah, blah. blah Done blah. my homework. Oh, yeah, sure, okay. But everybody was buying it, so I got in. pounding it at 90 bucks a share. Remember, it was $90 a share. Now it's like 150, 160. And I'm telling you, Michael Burry was buying it, Buffett was buying it. I mean, just boom, 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 boom. So, I mean, I was I bought it before any of them notified me that they were buying it. Sure, so. he did. <laughs> <laughs> that was completely horrible. I actually did. Because they, remember, they're always 45 to 90 degrees later. Dates. Or 90 dates later. Yeah. Yeah. All right, onward with, uh, um, with but, this. But let me just let me just close this point up because I think it's it's really maybe I'm articulating it badly. I feel like it's really fundamental. Like the question is, when do I trust my own decision versus when do I say, oh, my decisions are always a little bit up for some new perspective from somebody I respect. And me, it sounds like the answer that you're saying is that it depends on the weight of the people who are offering a no, different perspective. No, it really doesn't. I, that was a shortcut, and uh, like most shortcuts, they have some drawbacks. You can't just go on weight. You have to know, first off, that you understand the business. That's critical. So if you don't understand the brokerage business, the way Interactive Brokers does it, what they're competing with, how, how their profits can be manage what, what kind of cash flow they're going to get for the long run. If that's not comfortable to understand that, I don't care how many people are buying it. You don't want to be buying that. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, you, you, you have to do your own homework. And the main reason isn't because it's hard to buy it. It's because it's hard to sell it. And if you don't know what you've got and then the stock market goes down 50% and it takes uh, interactive brokers with it, you will not have notification soon enough that these guys have unloaded it. Yeah, that's true. And you'll true. be thinking about unloading it and you don't know if you should because why you, you, you didn't know why you bought it in the first place. 
So you have to do your own work, mostly because when push comes to shove and, the, and this price goes down, you won't know whether to stockpile in or just run for the hills because something drastically has changed. So you can't just go on what they say. It's a clue, big, huge clue that, hey, gold is over here. But you have to know the difference between fool's gold and real gold. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you know, just following these guys isn't the, isn't the best way to do that. So um, you have to use this as a guide. And I have to also realize that our biggest advantage as small investors is small companies. And many times these guys are not going to be buying small companies because they're too big. Meaning they have so much money to move in that they have to choose a big company that has the, the vol volume. Has the volume. So, I like mean, the sheer number of shares being bought and sold. So that they don't end up in some illiquid position that they essentially yeah. own the whole company. Yeah. Right? What about this? Okay. I do my research. I'm like, no, I hate this one. Then five gurus buy it. Right. I think that's worth a second look because I'm not the expert, right? Like I'm learning. This is my practice. I have, it's if other people who I respect think differently, I think that's worth a second look. If I then again on that look decide, no, I still see something that they don't see, then I'm done. Then you're done. So maybe that's how to. I think that works. Treat it. It's worth coming back to. Um, sometimes we just don't push far enough to have a final, final answer on a lot of things. That's companies. really true, yeah. It can be hard to push yourself internally. Yeah, you sort of get to a place where it's just starting to look too hard and you bail. Yeah. And, and by the way, this is, I mean, this is a problem all of us have, that we get a good tip off from a guy like, like Meacham, then we start to dig in, and then life takes over, and then we see this other thing, and then we see this other thing, and we feel like grasshoppers, we're bouncing around, um, when we just need to dig that one ditch. And uh, this is easier said than done. I'm, a, I'm so bad at this, really. Um, and it's so frustrating because I don't finish, 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 done um, a lot of companies. I'll just get to a place where I'm thinking, eh, it's just not working, you know? It's that unconscious competence that you've got. <laughs> it's just like, uh, got it, did it, five yeah, minutes. Kind of. I know how it goes. But then it's kind of frustrating if it comes back up on one of these guys' list of companies they're buying. And I thought, yeah. oh man, I looked at that two years ago and it was half this price. Yeah. And now these guys are buying in now. What did I miss? What is it about this that I don't see, you know? So, man, I don't know. Um, I, th I think you just have to just do your own work and use this guru stuff as a guide. But, oh my gosh, it's such a good guide. <laughs> okay, it's let's go back so to Meacham because he's buying interactive brokers 12.5%. Right. Then he's What's got AutoNation for 12.4%. AutoNation. Yep, but he's, he's selling off a bit now. Oh. So AutoNation is a little bit of a sell-off. Um, and you just click on it on our website or on Guru Focus or Data, uh, uh, Data Roma, and it'll tell you how many shares and when he bought it and how much he paid and all that. So you can look at historically. You'll see that the most recent things he was actually selling off about 10% of his position, hmm. which is pretty interesting. It doesn't mean he's out. What it probably means is he's pretty confident that it's the, the real high run-up that the stock price has done is kind of over. He's starting to take some profits off the table, but not so much that he's alerting the whole market that he's bailing, which would send out a wave of selling because these guys are pretty big and everybody's watching them. Mm. All right. Mm. So that's AutoNation. 
And then um, he's bought in an increased position uh, of Lucadia National Corporation. He's 11.2% of this one. Um, people call this a baby Berkshire. This is, uh, you know, a, a really, really good company. Um, but it, they're very diversified. They are um, spread across a number of industries. They have a lot of, of companies that they've spun out that are also public that deal with uh, uh, media in Latin America, media in Europe, oh. media in, in, in different places around the world. Um, a lot of people think it's one of the best run companies around. And if you clicked on that one, you would see that there are uh, quite a number of people who have some Lucadia. And if you add in all of the kinds of Lucadia you can have, it adds up to a lot. So for example, Meacham is in this one um, at about 25 bucks a share. Prim Watsa is in this. He is considered to be the Warren Buffett of, of uh, Canada. Prim is a really phenomenal investor. Um, if you look at his results over the last four or five years, you'll think, what am I talking about? Because he's really sort of down. Hmm. Um, but he's real long-term. And by long-term, what I mean is if I can just keep my attention on 10 years and not think in terms of two or three or five, I'm going to be a much better investor because I'm looking at that minimum rate of return of 15% a year compounded over 10 years means a means million dollars today is going to be $4 million in 10 years. And that's what I consider to be a pretty acceptable rate of return. That'll be cool. Now, if I can get 24, 26, 28, then the million dollars is going to be more like 8 million or 10 million in that period of time. But obviously, turning one into four in 10 years, that would be good. Yeah, I'd be, be okay comfortable with, with yeah, that. I'd be okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> and so you can have some down years if you can have some up years, and that's how we play. So Bruce Berkowitz, also another guy that I considered a phenomenal investor who just shut his fund down in mm. this market, which is a sign of a top. Mm -hmm. When these really good value investors are just going, I don't know how to invest in this market. I'm just giving your money back and I'm going to go play golf for a few years. I was about to say about Premwatsa. I mean, this, this market is just difficult for value investors because the prices don't reflect the values in the companies. Right. Or they reflect full value of the company. That's what I mean, yeah. Yeah, so th that's not how we play. And there is a time to play golf and just go hang out. And if there is such a time, we're in it <laughs> right now, I think. And then Tweedy Brown, which is uh, another really famous value fund um, that's run by ruler-type investors. And all these guys bought in at about the same price range. Oh, we're still talking about Lucadia. Yeah, Lucadia. Um, let me see, Alan Meacham, just to go through the history of this thing, for example, in 2015, he bought a quarter million shares and added another 100 a little later the next quarter. And then in 2016, he added 3.4 million shares. Now he's doing this in a range of 16 to $24 a share. So look at how a great investor does this. He buys the first 350,000 shares at about $24 a share. The price goes down like a brick and he buys the next 3.4 million at 16. Oh, nice. That's stockpiling. Yeah, right there. absolutely. All right. Then the price starts to come rocketing back up and he begins to take profits on about pretty close to 60, 70% of it he takes off the table from 2016 to 2017. He's selling this company. So he's made a profit, a big hit at 16. Now the stock price is at 25. He's unloading it. In just one year, 
he's up about 60, 70 percent. Wow. Okay. And then the price flattens down a little bit and he starts adding small positions. So he's added a little bit more, 75,000 shares, 15,000 uh, shares. Can you see the at price? At around 25, yeah. Oh, really? So he yeah. was selling at 25 and then he bought some he more. He started to buy back, but a little bit. I mean, it's really quite interesting when you see the numbers here that he kind of got all in there with about 4 million shares in 2015. And then he unloaded about 3 million of those shares. Let's see, uh, two point, yeah, really close to 3 million at about 25. Hmm. What do you take from that? I'm taking that he's, he's taken some big profits. And then he added a small amount of stock. Now, here's what these guys sometimes do. They know people are watching them, so they buy a little more when they're actually looking to unload. Really? Mm -hmm. You think it's a PR situation? They do it all the time. They go on uh, CNBC and tell everybody how great this company is. Lucadia, phenomenal, does all this stuff. To keep the price from dropping as they sell. As they sell. And so, and then the CNBC reporters are going, hey, hey, you're pitching this pretty hard. Do you own this company? Ah, oh, you caught me. Yeah, I do. I have quite a large position in this company. Oh, we caught you hyping your company, right? They didn't catch him doing anything. He's that, wait, out there. this is for real? Yeah, this is for real. Oh my God, I can't <laughs> stand this CNBC stuff. to professionals who do what I do is entertainment. Yeah, totally. It's fun to watch. <sighs> I see it as entertainment, but it is not fun to watch. <laughs> like a horror show. It's just a boring. Horror show. It's just so boring. So this is quite interesting, right? That the guy has got this big position and he starts to, and he starts to add to it a little bit. So. We don't know, as over these last few years, has this become more valuable? And now he's thinking, hmm, maybe it's time to jump back in. But this looks more like toe in the water, practice shares. Let me just kind of get back in there. Um, that is super interesting. Yeah. So let's watch and see what he does with this over the next year. I mean, remembering, though, that he still has 3.6 million shares of this thing. Oh, he didn't sell that much. No, no, no. He's still got a big, huge chunk of this company. So we either he's just thinking maybe I should start pulling some more money into here, and then the price moved away from him and he stopped. So basically we have no we don't clue. Know. We don't know. At all. What we do know is it's a very serious position at 3.6 million. And if we go in there and do our work on Lucadia, we can probably come up with some idea what it's worth. So if we can't, then that's done, right? You're not gonna buy something you can't figure out what it's worth. Mm -hmm. And you can't figure out what it's worth unless it has a moat that you understand. Mm -hmm. Well, Lucadia is a pretty complicated company. It sounds like it. Yeah. So that may not be something we could ever figure out comfortably what it's worth. Mm -hmm. You know, Like if I looked at Berkshire through the lens of earnings and cash flow, really tough time figuring it out. It's very complex, got a lot of private companies, all kinds of stuff going on. All sorts of different industries, different right. products, different services, like just so diversified. So diversified. So there's a certain level of trust here that says Buffett owns good companies. Yeah. Pretty confident that he does. And then he's telling me where he will buy Berkshire. He will buy Berkshire at 120% of book value. Mm -hmm. He said that in his shareholder letters. Exactly. So now I got a target. You know, and so I feel comfortable. I think that's what a lot of these guys are doing with Berkshires. They're comfortable with the guy who's running it. They're comfortable with what they know about it. 
and they see, yeah, he's, Berkshire is going to be on sale at 120% of book value. So that's where they're buying it. There's no accident they're buying Berkshire at 144. That was when it was at 120% of book value. Mm. Just happened to be right there. But what's after Lucadia on uh, the Meacham list? All right, after Lucadia, um, Lucadia, by the way, is L-U-K, is Monroe, this very high-tech company that does what? Any idea? No. Probably not. Shock absorbers. Oh, sure. So <laughs> Monroe. <laughs> so, what percentage is that? Um, he's got 9% in Monroe. Okay. Um, so that's the top five, Dad. That's the top five. And if we add it all up, what do we got? Oh, my gosh. I have to do right. math. Okay. Yeah. We have like Go 35, and then we have like 47, right. and then we have like 68, and then we have like... 40, wait a second. 47 and 11 is 58. That's what I meant. Kay. And then we have... Uh, I lost track. Nine. I'm going to go with 60%. 67. Close enough. So I was off. I, I thought it was 57%. It's 67%. So he has two-thirds of his portfolio in five companies. That's a ruler right there. Totally. When you see that, yeah. that's a rule one investor. Yeah. Nobody else does that. Yeah. Okay? And so then that's he how you owns spot these guys. how many total? He owns uh, 25, Oh, I, I thought you were going to say like 100 or something. Okay. No, but so the rest of them are all small. Uh, but look at Buffett has... 80% of his portfolio in the top seven or eight companies. Mm -hmm. And then he has a, about 100. Mm -hmm. So it's really the top group where you're getting your focus. I find it so fascinating that these like expert investors do exactly what I. <laughs> I, never I don't know if that makes me an like expert that. investor or if it makes them, if they should be worried about it themselves. It makes you having some really good <laughs> insights that people who've been around it for 40 years don't have, like me. So, you know, it's like, oh, you see the world through a different lens and there's, oh, these guys are obviously doing practice shares. And when you said it to me, I went, oh my God, Meacham just bought Dinspley Serona, which is some sort of x-ray company, he just bought 11,000 shares, which is 0.09%. It's not even a rounding it's like error. It's nothing, yeah. I mean, if that company went broke tomorrow, it would be a rounding error yeah. on his portfolio. That's a practice share. Yeah, there's no reason to do that. None. There's no logical what reason. What goes on in your head. Yeah, that's interesting. So what I want to do next time is talk about, and you get to pick, another guru. Okay, cool. Um, ooh, I, I, let's talk about Monash. Let's do Monash per bry. Okay. I love Monash. I hope he'll come on our podcast. I hope he will too. So until then, I guess it's time to go play. What do you say? All right, guys. We'll be back next Tuesday as normal, and we'll be talking about Monash per bry. Yep. All right. Let's go. See you. <laughs> okay. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Head over to investedpodcast.com for our show notes and a special offer on how the podcast listeners can attend my three-day transformational investing workshop for free, where we just teach the heck out of you for three straight days. We don't sell anything and we get you a scholarship to come to it for free. So come on over there and take a look at that. And by the way, as our lawyers want me to say, everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion, my opinion's right, and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor 
have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So this podcast is just for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it. So until next time, time to go play.